Welcome to Brook USA on the Road. Our mission at Brook USA is to significantly improve the welfare of working horses, donkeys, and mules, and the people they serve throughout Asia, Africa, the Middle East, the Americas, and the Caribbean by raising funds and responsibly directing them to the areas of greatest need. Brook USA connects private philanthropists with their passion for helping relieve the suffering of working equines and their owners. In each podcast episode, you'll hear a report from one of our board members on the current initiatives for our organization. You'll also enjoy updates from our Brook USA ambassadors, who range from top-level international writers to best-selling authors. I'm your host, Julianne Neal. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to learn more about Brook USA, a nonprofit, board led organization dedicated to alleviating the suffering of working equines and the people they serve in the developing world. This seventh episode of the podcast is entitled About Brook USA's Heritage and Friends. We'll be featuring Dr. David Jones, the founding chairman of Brook USA, in a conversation along with Kathy Moss Daddle, who has a history of fundraising and volunteering for rescue organizations. Dr. David Jones is a veterinarian and zoologist and is also the founding chairman of Brook USA, driving its enormous success since 2016 when it rebranded with a new mission and focus. Dr. Jones was the CEO of the Zoological Society of London and has spent his extensive career in wildlife and zoo management. He's the Director Emeritus of the North Carolina Zoo, having run it for 22 years. Kathy Moss Daddle has a history of fundraising and volunteering for rescue organizations and continues that rich history with Brook USA. I'd love to welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to be here. I like to start with your history with the whole Brook nonprofit family. You've been involved with the Brook family of charities for over 50 years, first with the UK and now here in the United States. Can you share with me how you got started, what, what your proudest achievements are serving in all the different roles that you've had over the years? Well, it's a rather funny story. I think Kathy's probably heard this one before when we were both in India, but um as you said, I've been in the zoo world all my working life, and I've only been in it one year at London Zoo when I got this strange phone call uh, one morning saying, would I go to Cairo and cut the giraffe's toenails at the zoo? And um, it, <laughs> it turned out this lady was Dorothy Brooks' personal assistant. Dorothy had actually died in 1955, um, but this lady, um, Kathleen Taylor-Smith, had taken over the Brook charity, and it's obviously still very much in its infancy. Um, and this was 1970, January 1970. So here's this strange person saying, go to Cairo and cut the giraffe's toenails. So anyway, I did go to Cairo and cut a lot of toenails, actually, not just the giraffes. Um, but that led to my also training... Um, some of the Brook vets in remote capture techniques. The, the late 60s, early 70s, one of these times when we were still developing anesthetic darts, you know, the projectile darts with anesthetic drugs. And at that time, Brook actually had a real problem with rabies in donkeys in the, 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 the garbage gathering Zebeline community in Cairo. And, um, 
they had the, the Zebelin were the traditional garbage collectors in Cairo, and and donkeys amongst the equines are the most susceptible to rabies. And the only way we could get we could catch these animals safely was actually with projectile darts. So that was my start of the connection with Brooke, um, <laughs> which then at that time. That time it was purely a family-run affair. Um, it was, you know, with with one or two helpers. So two or three, Dorothy Brooks children. Dorothy had um, two sons and a daughter, and one of the sons and the daughter played a very significant role, sort of through the through the sixties and seventies, really early seventies, and then a few of us joined what was then called the committee. It was effectively a group of trustees. But it was a it was a one hundred thousand dollar charity, with an operation in Cairo, mostly Cairo, around Dorothy's original hospital, and a small clinic in Luxor. Um, and in the late seventies, I became unfortunately Philip Seawright, the son involved, uh, had Parkinson's, and I took over really as vice chair and effectively as chair, and ran but really chaired it for best part of 20 years. And um, I can't say it grew from about, well, we had one and a half staff in London, to give you an idea. There are 80 staff in London now. Wow. And we had maybe 40 staff, maybe 50 staff in Egypt. And they're just under a thousand now in 11 countries. Um, <laughs> and so the bus, the budget has gone from $100,000 to $30 million uh, in those in those 50 years. So um, it's, it's, it's been a, quite a ride and, and an amazing, amazing charity. That is remarkable. I mean, those numbers are astronomical. And so then how did the shift come from, from everything that was going on there? First of all, I just have to say the toenail thing. I mean, just with my dog, I have the hardest time with the trimming of the toenails, so I can't even imagine the giraffe. And so what other animals did you have to work on while you were there? Just as well, the, the, the other amusing one was there was a male lion with overgrown claws and teeth. The very, very thin teeth were in very bad shape. And um, I arrived. Well, I was there for three weeks. It's not long after the Six Day War. It was, you know, it was quite quiet in that sense in Cairo. Um, but and, and, and I, I often joke there were twenty-two vets on staff none of whom had ever seen a capture rifle before. None of them really knew which end of the rifle to use. So, so I had to, you know, I had to, there was a lot of training involved in those sort of three to four weeks. And so part of the exercise was to give them a bit of practice or at least to see something. And one afternoon we were immobilizing this big male lion and I arrived, you know, mid-afternoon, whatever, to, to, to dart this animal. And, and in front of the cage, there were 10 rows of seats laid out. And Julia, and before the performance, which was what it became, we had the Minister of Agriculture, I think the, de the Deputy Prime Minister, the, the, the editor of Al-Ahram, which is the New York Times of Egypt, all sitting in front looking at this performance. Of removing this lion, but fortunately, lions are actually very easy to anaesthetize, very safe to anaesthetize, safe in the sense of the drugs, uh, and so all very went well. It went, went very well, and and uh, I'd sort of almost had to take a bow at the end of all this. And the and and the 
Anyway, the, the, the Minister of Agriculture, a lovely, lovely guy called Dr. Zane Nardine, stood up and, 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 and sort of announced to everybody, let us retire to the Royal Garden for tea. <laughs> what else do you say after that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, and luckily you knew what you were doing. I mean, you were like instrumental in in, in introducing all of this. So. Yeah, and, and my wife and I had been married about six months, you know, and she she well, fortunately she she was with me at the time, sort of our second honeymoon. But anyway, very amusing. But that anyway, that all led to the involvement with Brooke. What a second honeymoon is what I have to say to yeah. that. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. So, I mean, really, you were instrumental in introducing fiber optics um, procedures yes. in animals. Well, and- basically, both fiber, both animal fiber optics and and darting, you know, dart techniques to well, certainly, certainly to Egypt. But it was in the it was that during that period of about ten years from mid sixties to mid seventies when these sort of techniques were being developed and. You know, what's amusing looking at riding on an aircraft today, I was carrying, not not just Egypt, I was carrying dart guns and darts and morphine drugs all over the world and nobody (laughs) took the slightest bit of notice. You you imagine climbing onto an aircraft at Raleigh Airport today. (laughs) A box full of morphine. Uh, I don't believe you'd get very far for sure. Oh, how did how did you transition then? How did, or how did Brooke transition to Brooke USA and develop so well over in the United States? Well, it, it really arose out of conversations. You know, fast forward from 1970 to about 2000, and I was I was chairman on three occasions. Very sadly, I mean, one sort of smiles in a way. Um, Two chairs, the two chairs following me both died in post. And, and I had to I had to replace them both temporarily, although I was actually over here. I came over to the US in 1994, but um, but I had two other times when I was having to chair. And during those times, obviously because of my being in the US, um, there were discussions going on about shouldn't we start, shouldn't we start a Brook USA? We already had a Brook Netherlands, and there was an embryo operation in Australia as well. Uh, but the Netherlands one was quite strong. And so in 07, 2007, we founded the the chair of the not-for-profit, Brook USA. But it really wasn't until um, 2015 when we were able, we we're in a position to employ full-time staff and particularly take Emily on um, and they've and that really you you know as you well know with volunteers alone alone on their own you can't really move off the ground very much we had we already had seven or eight hundred subscribers to Brooke in the US um, as a sort of starting point but not very active uh, but once we once we were able to take on a full time staff and uh, Emily and her team, it it just skyrocketed. You know, as the spearhead of all the Brook USA um, initiatives, I know that you're very confident in that. So yeah, absolutely, no, it's gone from you know five hundred thousand in the first year to to two million now in in just five years. Yeah. Wow. So how how else? I mean, the organization now, the part that I've seen, there's an intense fundraising drive and it, she's really everybody has really spread out into some some really innovative ways of of fundraising in general and we're going to talk about that in a minute with Kathy was the fundraising always that 
um, big a part of the, of the initiative of what you were all about from the beginning of Brook USA? Yeah, very, very much so. We're not, apart from anything else, we're not big enough to be an operational um, unit, as, certainly as yet. I, I, down the road, that may change, particularly in regard to Central and South America. But right now, it makes it makes every sense anyway to have a sort of coordinated central body in Brook UK that a provides us with a lot of a lot of help data and of course provides us with the opinions that we need to base our decisions on where we spend that money. So all the technical help at the moment comes comes straight out of the UK. So Brook USA is purely a fundraising mechanism for the Brook family, but Brook USA is totally independent as a, as a US charity, and it does fund a number of equine operations that are not actually part of, of Brook UK. Okay. Yes, that's it. That's interesting. Well, and we mentioned a minute ago, I said I would get to Kathy and her fundraising effort. I can't wait to ask you a little bit about that. But before I do, Kathy, you grew up, I mean, from the beginning, it sounds like you were an animal lover. Even as a child, when there was an animal in need, there was no looking the other way for you. And so uh, from the Moss Gang, as you describe it, to helping other kinds of animals, um, at what point did you realize that this fundraising effort was a bigger and, and more efficient way of helping? Well, honestly, it's when my barn was full, my house was full, there was no more room in the yard. and. I knew that was not sustainable, but I always knew. I didn't go out to collect the most animals and to rescue the most. They just showed up, but I knew there were so many more standing behind them. And I'd always given to organizations that I had vetted out and made sure that the money was going to where I thought it should go. And um, in 1996, I saw a documentary on the BBC that just blew me away. Um, Dorothy Brooke led a horse into the courtyard in Cairo and the, the animal hospital there that should have been euthanized. It was beyond service to the owner and certainly beyond service to itself. And instead of euthanizing this animal, they had a huge bed of straw. The animal was allowed to sleep for two days in the sun and got a mash and passed knowing a kind word. And I thought that's exactly how Dorothy Brooke would have had it. And that's why she did what she did because she thought the end was just as important as how an animal lived. And I thought, well, these are my people. So I started following um, the Brooke. And when Brooke USA arrived, I was just elated because it was here in my backyard. And the programs and the energy of the people was just, I thought, well, here they are. And that's where I've been. And I joined the Dots in 2017. But I always knew that there were other people doing things that I could not do. And they were going places that I couldn't go. So I never thought that I was going to save them all. And I always um, found that to be the most defeatist expression. Oh, Kathy, you can't save them all. And I thought, well, first of all, I don't think I'm going to. And secondly, um, why, why think like that? And thank goodness Brook USA doesn't because every animal supports 
an entire family, every animal. And then it spills over into the power of one, which is their new fundraising program, which has got me so excited because I know firsthand that stuffing money in a donation jar, dimes, nickels, and quarters, when I was running a thrift shop for Middleburg Humane, at the end of the week, we could pay a bill for that shelter from those nickels, dimes, and quarters. And I took great pleasure in counting that money on Saturday because we raised a lot of money just with a jar. And to think that you can't make a difference by donating a dollar, you're, you're wrong. And, um, and I, I know firsthand that making people feel included with that dollar is just, it spills over. And it's like when you are waiting in line, when you're, you're in traffic and people are trying to merge and no one's letting them in. All of a sudden, one person lets somebody in. And then everybody starts letting somebody in. I think everybody wants to help and be a part of the solution, but they just need for that other person to do it first. So when people would put money in the tip jar, everybody would start putting money in the tip jar. It's not because they didn't want to. They thought maybe it wasn't enough or it wasn't big enough. Um, so I learned early on that any everything helps. To me, fundraising encompasses so many different groups of people, and there are so many ways to make something good happen. It's not just writing a big check, although those are lovely and much appreciated. Um, <laughs> what paid our light bill was that tip jar. So the power of one turns me on no end. Everybody's got a dollar or $10. For more exciting content, tune in to Winnie Tales, horse stories, pony legends, and unicorn yarns, featuring the work of international equine clinician Bruce Anderson. You'll find these podcasts and more at equusfilmfestival.net or on any of your favorite podcast directories. So I have to ask you both because you're here together today because you've both been part of trips to the brick kilns in India. I want to ask a little bit about that. David, some of the funding that Brook USA provides support this work. Um, can you speak a little bit about that industry in general, first of all? Um, and and then, then we'll talk about maybe some changes that need to be made. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Brick Hill industry of Southern Asia is one of the great invisible human animal welfare problems of the world. You know, about 2 billion of the uh, people on earth live below the poverty line. I mean the poverty line defined as not enough to eat, not enough shelter, you know, really, really low down. And, and those are the people that often are invisible. And about half a million people work in 150,000 sort of artisanal village brick kilns across India and Pakistan. Um, most of them in India, about 130,000 in India. And um, I'm sorry, half a million animals, half a million donkeys, horses and mules, mostly donkeys, five million people, five million people working with them. And the big issue here, there were many, many issues about it. Uh, it's the classic example, a bit like we're all learning around COVID right now, that you really got to look at human health, animal health, the COVID virus came from animals, and, and environmental health. 
And I'm hoping that one of the things that comes out of all this COVID panic is that we will begin to realize that we've really got to look at all these things together. And so the brick kilns are one of the classic examples of how all these three things come together. Uh, so what you've got is this enormous population of people, mostly migrant, 90% of them walk anything up to a thousand miles from their home villages every year seasonally to work at several different levels. So making bricks, firing the bricks, moving the bricks with donkeys, horses and mules. Most of these kilns are owned by local people, some of them by sort of combines, but most of them local people who are often quite remote from, uh, from, from the, the work site. They, they happen to own the land or they work with the landowner, but they're not on site. So they work through a manager. In most cases, the welfare of, of the people is pretty awful. Um, and so, as we found so much with Brooke, if the welfare of the people is bad, the welfare of the animals is going to be bad. The two are totally dependent. Mm -hmm. So, India, with its you know vastly increasing population, vastly increasing development, anyway, requiring these huge numbers of low quality bricks, um, the, the the number being produced is just astronomical. Something like ten. No, it's more a hundred billion bricks a year, and most of this is most of this is worked by people with their hands and with animal transport. So it's quite extraordinary. And so you get not only do you get the human and animal welfare directly, but you also get huge environmental problems because in firing these kilns, they're using everything from uh, you know from from poor quality coal through waste oil through burnt tires anything they can find to burn. So you can imagine the total, when you go to one of these sites, as Kathy has, and, and very often there's something like two or 300 of these kiln chimneys in one place covering 20,000 acres, um, that you can imagine what the sort of pollution is like and what the standards, and most people going to India, I, I often laugh sometimes at the Indian tourist um, magazines, you know, saying, come to beautiful India, because they never see, they never see any part of this. But Brooke is right front and centre in trying to deal and make, make conditions better uh, for these people. So what, what can be done? I mean, what actually could happen to make those changes and improvements? It's got to be legislative. You, we do come across occasional owners who are very sympathetic. So you get a and, and, and very we and we have on occasions used um, some of those um, some of those facilities with good owners to, to try and create an example to others. Because as you can imagine, if you have a good owner that looks after his workers, they look after their animals, the productivity is is double anyway. Right. You know, so so if one can try and get that message out to other brick kill owners, that's one way of doing it. But I'm afraid at the end of the day, it's going to have to be legislative. Um, it, the trouble is that the, the Indian, all the, all the governments in that area really would rather not know about these places. They Absolutely. operate illegally most of the time. Um, they, they don't know really quite how to do with it, but there's got to be... Um, legislation brought about both in terms of, of human welfare and animal welfare. 
so that really at the end of the day, the brick, the, the kiln owners have got to take responsibility through a legislative process. So what we will be doing with, with, with Brooke, and we have sister organizations as well um, that are, that are uh, working with us on this, um, is, is to try and get the conditions improved through national and regional legislation. Kathy, you've been there and seen it all firsthand. What was your experience like? Were you there with Brook USA? Oh, yes. And I was on the same trip, well, February of last year with Dr. Jones. And um, I can tell you, even with my history, I went to India with an open mind and was not, um, I was not expecting anything. I, I was waiting to see what was presented to me. And the brick kiln, I was just struck by the willingness. I'm approaching it from a, you can't take away the hard labor. That's, that's not going anywhere. You can't um, get rid of the fact that these animals are are not going to be optimum. Um, What I was looking for how the people responded to the brook personnel that were there and, and, to us as observers. And I was just so amazed at how willing the women were with their children to share a moment with me and to let me photograph their homes, how they lived and um, their, their openness in, in the midst of all of this poverty. So I was looking for the impact that, that I thought Brook USA had had on the people in this kiln. And I will say when they loaded up this one donkey with her load, I saw a man trying to feed his family. And I saw a donkey that wasn't that skinny. The feet were in pretty good shape. So I was trying to focus on what probably was a huge difference if Brooke had not been there. So I wasn't looking um, to be horrified or uh, I I really came home totally energized knowing that every nickel was going to a good place and everything made a difference. And, and to just, I came home with a lot of hope and really joy because I had embraced the thing that I was afraid of. And that was all here in my heart and in my head. So now it's a part of me. And now I know really why I do what I do or try and help in some way. So to me, it was more um, embracing this cause that had moved me for so long. And um, and now I just I feel like uh, what can I do? I'm, I'm just this website that I started. I'm. I'm just so excited to raise any amount of money and, um, and I do have purpose. So, but the, the trip gave me real purpose and didn't, um, it didn't deter me. It, it, it really incited me to riot. My family is tired of listening to me because I'm always excited when I talk about it. Your your photography is just phenomenal. You have such an eye for the colorful, I mean, the juxtaposition between the colorful, beautiful. You know and they let me get right in their face. Yes. That's what and, I can say. And and I, I did ask permission, but they were so welcoming. welcoming. And so, um, and I do have to say, 
there was one anecdote that really kind of reinforced to me that Brook USA was making a difference. Our guide, who was wonderful, um, dropped us off at one site and went into the village and was doing this ex post facto interview um, and literally went to the village asking about Brook USA. What do you think? Uh And he came back and was telling us how impressed and happy they were with the changes that Brooke had made within um, the workers. They're able to spend more money in the village because they're making more money. They really are. It, it, it enhances their status in the village when you can pay the ferrier or, 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 or get more feed. There are so many, I call it the circle of giving. I mean, you help the welfare of the animal it enhances the welfare of the family and then it enhances their status in the community. So it's, it's not just helping an animal. It's, it's helping people to a better life along the way. And anywhere you start in that circle, it's all good to me. Those types of partnerships and and that working together. I mean, I'd like to come back, David, if you don't mind, one health is the concept that recognizes what you were just speaking about a few minutes ago with the links between human animal and environmental health. And it's those types of links and partnerships that have that impact that they have upon each other. Can you, can you tell me a little bit more specifically about one health? Yes, it, it's a con. It's nothing new about the concept, but it's of course coming to the fore much more, particularly now with with COVID. Um, but what it is is looking is is encouraging the expertise in human, animal, and environmental health to to talk seriously to each other. They've been they've been sort of treated as separate silos for so long, and now because people are realizing that these three things play such a critical sort of interlocking role with each other. I mean, in Brook, in a way, we've known that for 30 or 40 years. I have to say, though, when I started with Brook 50 years ago, I very often got a response from donors saying, those dreadful people who are driving those donkeys, you know, why don't we, why don't we stop them, you know, beating, which, of course, we try and do, but the point is they weren't realizing that actually the two things were closely related. Um, and so dealing with, you know, you can't deal with the animal health, whether it's, whether it's a matter of infectious disease, which, of course, is the issue arising over COVID, or whether it's a matter of just the, the, well, the well-being, which is connected clearly to health, of people because they have animals, really, as Kathy just said, because they have animals in, in better health, so more productive and therefore so it reflects on the health and welfare of the people, you know, including, you know, their ability to look after themselves better, whether it's feeding themselves or avoiding, you know, the worst of the maladies that, that they do get in the tropics. So it's a, it's a, it's a concept that is, is really building, you know, building some momentum right now. That's wonderful. Kathy, you mentioned a few minutes ago the dots. What are the dots, first of all, and how did you get involved? I was invited, and it's a, a group of women. Um, it's another level of support and involvement. And, of course, that alludes to Dorothy Brooke. Um, it's great to be able to speak with women who are like-minded um, 
about the issues because you can talk yourself into a circle sometimes and it's it it can be gut-wrenching mm-hmm. but um but you realize that we're all working towards a solution or some solution it's just another level of support in an organization that I'm already involved with and now it's just another level of support but as far as the dots I, I think everyone should be a member because more women, more better, right? <laughs> there you go. Well, and that leads me to something else that I read that you said. Um, more raising money is the key to helping more. And yeah. I think that that's, that's pretty important as well. So you have this new online store, Paint Hope Orange. How does that fit into the scheme of things? Was that your idea? How did you come up with it? I'll tell you, I was in the grocery store and Kendall Byer called me just to check in and to see how I was doing. And, and I said, you know, what am I doing <laughs> about raising money um, instead of just giving some? So you can ask her. I came home and immediately started. I thought Paint Hope Orange would be a great name for something to fall under the umbrella of Paint America Orange because I love the word hope. That's my favorite word in the English language. And I have two donkeys, Charlotte and Isabella. So they were my muse for my logo. And then I launched a website with donated items and a lot of cool stuff, which is not sustainable. I've done really well, but to go out, I mean, I have friends with legit antique stores and they are always shopping and it's, it's a career. So I'm developing new product and I want to have a, a really cool Christmas store with new stuff. Any level of giving can come under Paint America Orange, which I, and I really, I, I just love the name of it. I fell in love with it. So Kendall, I blame, I say Kendall, if I fail or if I do really well, I'm going to blame it all on blame you. It on you. Very creative and, and really wonderful ways of bringing it into I'm having fun too. So. Yeah. Well, both of you are doing some special things. Um, David, I have to ask, what do you see as the future for Brook USA? What do you think's next to come? Well, Julianne, it's, it's the, the, the sky is the limit because uh, the first thing we need to know, to get to do is to at least get the whole equine community in all its forms across the U.S. getting to know Brook USA. Brook USA is totally unique in the U.S. There's nothing like it. Um, There are one or two equine organizations that work from time to time overseas. Whether you're interested primarily in animal welfare or in human welfare, this, this this is the charity for you because you'll get both. And of course, we are, you know, people are more and more aware now of um, America has not particularly been outlooked, you know, outgoing in terms of its overseas support, but, but it's still been quite significant. And I think as more and more people take a global look and understand that global poverty is, is really very, very critical to our, our sort of future as, as a world together. And so... Um, what what Brooke is able, Brook USA is able to do um, in terms of as, as much as it can make contact with people, get them involved um, with the charity. Um, the, the sky really is the limit. And when you think how big the country is, there's so much more to do. 100 million working horses, donkeys and mules support 600 million of the world's poorest people. They are the sole source of income for many families through the backbreaking labor of their animals. 
Unfortunately, the majority of these working equines are suffering from chronic welfare issues and premature death, nearly all of which are preventable. Brook USA provides funding for scientifically proven, practical and sustainable equine welfare programs throughout the developing world. We work primarily through Brook, the world's largest international equine welfare charity, which reaches 2 million working equines annually, benefiting 12 million people who depend on them. When we fund training for people and veterinary interventions for working equines, Brook USA effectively prevents and eases the suffering of these animals and ensures better livelihoods for people now and for generations to come. Projects recently funded by Brook USA include construction of permanent water troughs in Ethiopia, continuing education for veterinarians in Senegal, training for Maasai women who own donkeys in Kenya, veterinary interventions in Pakistan, disease prevention and training for animal health care workers in India, improved nutrition for animals in Guatemala, and so much more. We also recently funded emergency relief programs for equine victims of natural disasters in the U.S. and Puerto Rico. Please help us fund even more solutions to the world's most challenging equine welfare problems. guests in this segment of the episode include two people with a very special interest in Brook USA. With over 25 years experience as a celebrity makeup artist, Leslie Munzel has worked with the biggest talents in the advertising and fashion world. Her expertly curated collection of the most essential beauty products has been captured in her Beauty for Real line of cosmetics. Her love of dressage makes her a natural fit as a Brook USA supporter. Casey Perry Glass joined Brook USA as an ambassador shortly after riding to the 2016 Team Bronze Medal at the Rio Olympics as part of the U.S. Olympic Dressage Team. Despite being a decorated international athlete and Olympian, her greatest source of pride is providing her horses with the highest possible level of care, a characteristic that proves to be invaluable as an ambassador for the organization. I'd like to say, Leslie and Casey, welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is so exciting. I was really excited about this call. Casey, let's start with you. I'll ask, first of all, how did you meet up with Brook USA in the first place? Um, I met up with Brook USA through Allie Brock. Um, I was so interested in um, just the work that she was doing for such an amazing organization and um what they, what they stand for really captivated me um, because I'm such an advocate for my horses and such an advocate for the well-being of any animal. Um, and so it, it really felt like a, a perfect fit for me. And um, I asked Ali, I was like, can you introduce me um, to, the, to the people that run it and, and put their, their love into the company? And, um, and Ali was able to do that and it was a perfect fit right away. So, yeah. And Leslie, the same with you. How did you meet up with everyone in the organization? Well, coincidentally or not, um, you know, Casey and I several times, I've actually worked with her doing her makeup for when she does her sponsorship things, which was really fun and exciting. But the first person who introduced me to Brook USA was also Allie Brock. 
And we were, I was riding in a clinic. Um, she was the clinician and um, I'd been developing products for Beauty For Real. And really our, my career um, at the end of, at, you know, towards the end, it's not over yet. So I don't mean the end like as in the end, but I mean, that's <laughs> in seven years has been really working with athletes. Um, so I did a lot of, you know, photo work with Venus and Serena Williams and women in the WNBA and, uh, Michelle Wee, the golfer, and then lots of male athletes as well. And so as we, as I'm developing product for beauty for real, it, it really is important to me that performance is key. You know, it has to really perform. And so there's a product that we have called MVP, which is a tinted moisturizer with SPF 25. And it's like, like the hardest working um, makeup product you've ever met in your whole life, hence the name MVP. And anyway, long story short, I wanted to have an athlete endorse it. And so I was really excited because I met Allie and I thought, oh, she was, she's fantastic. You know, this is pre-Rio uh, Olympics when she went with Casey, it was on the team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I talked to her about it. You know, we met, I talked to her about it and I was, you know, super enthusiastic. And of course I love everything equestrian and horses and everyone involved in it. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet some of the people, especially in sport is what really inspires me who are the best yeah. that they do. Like, you know, Venus and Serena and Dwayne Wade for 15 mm -hmm. years. I worked with him as a basketball player and Michelle, we the best golfer and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, it's super inspiring to me, the athletes, because they actually really do something. And then when I met Ali, I was like, oh, my God, because that's my sport. So it was like, who cares about Leonardo DiCaprio and these other people? <laughs> and Harry? I mean, there's Ali Brock. Holy cow. So I got really excited. And so, she, you know, I, I think, it, you know, she felt the enthusiasm, perhaps. She's like, oh, I'd love to do something. Yeah, let's, you know, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Well, then, you know, shortly thereafter, the Rio Olympics came around. She's on the team and she got super busy and super, you know, crazy swamped with um, all of everything that came with that, as I'm sure Casey can attest to. And so I needed to launch the product. So I couldn't wait. So we launched MVP. And then I was like, OK, I need to get back with Casey. I need to. And then, you know, she had introduced me to Brook USA. Mm -hmm. And I met Emily Doolin, who's the head, you know, the, the director through another friend. And I'm like, okay, this is all starting to come together now. And I need to do a product for all of the Brooke ambassadors. And then we came up with doing these tinted lip balms and each ambassador, you know, developed their own color and it's, you know, hundred percent organic and a portion of the proceeds go to Brooke. And, you know, it's been an amazing experience for me because I got to meet all of these really great women, you know, Debbie McDonald, JJ Tate, Allie, Casey has her color. And then we have some hunter jumpers, I mean, not hunter jumpers, jumpers and um, uh, inventors as well. So it's been so exciting. And as Casey you know, said too, is that I am so um, impressed and so you know, motivated by or inspired by the mission for what that Brooke is doing. And when I talk to people about it, everyone kind of agrees that what's really cool is that it's helping the animals. Yes. Which we all love and support and it's wonderful, but it's also helping people too. So it's, you know, a double edged whammy. 
Okay, I'll stop now. <laughs> well, no, that's perfect because honestly, the first time I ever heard of your line, Beauty for Real, was when I spoke with JJ Tate and Allie Brock. And Allie's the first one, I think, that mentioned it. And I thought, how cool is that? And then when I heard I was going to be speaking with Casey, I'm looking into her color. And then um, I spoke with Tick Maynard, Sinead's husband, and was asking him about the red and what, you know, his personalities and all. So I'm going to ask Casey this question. Your color is a rose, clear rose. How did you come up with the color? And what was it like working with Leslie to choose it and all that kind of stuff? What was that process like? Well, I feel like, I feel like pink in itself is, um, the shade of pink. There's a lot of different shades of pink, but I think that, um, that's one of my favorite colors and it's, it's really a lot of people's favorite color. It, It really works well for a lot of people. Um, and I went with a color that I felt that I could wear, um, going out on the town or just every day, or even in the show ring. Like I really like, like a pop of color in the show ring. And, um, so I was able to reach out to Leslie and she kind of tell her or give her an idea of what I like through a different color that I had, um, or a different product that I had. And she was able to kind of come up with her, her own makeup of the, of the, the color. And she did it spot on. I mean, I, I felt like I wasn't picky enough because I got the product back and I was like, this is perfect. So, you know, she, she does such a good job with that. And, you know, she really listened to everyone in there and what they really liked. And, um, I believe that, I mean, her product is like top notch. I mean, for us riders who need, um, a good makeup to hold up to riding and sweating and, and, um, working hard, but still looking beautiful at the same time. And that's what you get with beauty for real. Um, which is kind of amazing how it intertwines with Brooke USA and the fact that, I mean, you can't, you can't find a better organization. So it's, um, you know, everything works really well together. So each of you really, really doing well in your own right. And you're very diverse. And so it's really neat to see something like this, where you're all coming together for a cause and, um, you might have different types of jobs, different disciplines, whatever, but it's really special to see the work that you all are doing. And you mentioned color, Leslie, you sort of have a background. You were with Avita, I think. Is that something that you started all the way back then or was it when you created your own line that you went into that experimenting with different colors when i was working with aveda which i did you know for i don't know 15 20 years as a consultant part of it was doing you know color putting collections together for you know future launches and then you know shooting them with models and all of that and developing techniques which we we would then take out into the field because you know aveda is a huge company so we would go out into the field and educate people on how to do the, use the techniques with the new colors and things like that. So that was a big portion of it. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, the, there's trends come and go. Like, you know, for a while there'll be where everyone's wearing a lot of color or everyone's wearing really strong lips or the eyebrow has a certain shape or, you know, now it's, we're really into lashes and brows, and especially since we all have to wear masks and, you know, all that jazz. So trends come and go, mm. but, you know, for me, my goal when I was doing makeup and teaching makeup and, you know, developing colors and things like what you're talking about is what makes a person look good? Like what, I don't want, if I were to do your makeup, Julianne, I would want, I don't want someone to look at you and say, 
oh, your makeup looks great. No, I want them to look at you and say, wow, Julianne, you look great. You look beautiful. So, you know, there are certain colors and things that you use that over universally look best on people and, you know, formulas and um, applications and things like that, that over time that are classic, that you just make you look beautiful without, you know, catching the latest trend, which is always fun too. But, you know, that's kind of what, that's what the goal is, is to develop those colors that really make people look great. That's, that's really um, amazing. Well, what you kind of branched off on your own and now you have this clientele, A-list clientele. Um, how, what was the first moment in your life that you realized, hey, I've, I've stepped up a notch. I'm, I'm doing, this is big time. How, when did you realize that? You mentioned Venus and Serena and all these people. You know, who was your first person that just kicked in and you thought, wow? Well, that's interesting. Dwayne hmm. Wade. <laughs> Yeah, I love Dwayne. He's like one of my one, outside of the horse world. I guess he would be my favorite, I and mean, he's amazing. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, though, one one time I had an agent. You know, I worked with an agent here in Miami, and they called me. And you know, Casey, you probably experienced this too. It's like there are a lot of young makeup artists that I meet. They're like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do anything for free. I'm not going to do any favors. Everything is like, you know, cut and dried. But I remember my agent called me and she said, you know, there's a photographer coming to town. He's from New York. He's like this really great guy. He wants to do some tests with water and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to pay anyone to do it. Do you want to do it? Cause I think it'd be great for you to meet him. Cause he's a big deal. Okay, great. So I did it. And we did this water, you know, this whole application of waterproof makeup, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, I wish you could come with me on this job that we're you know, preparing this for. And I was like, well, yeah, I think I probably can. <laughs> anyway, it turns out, so we flew, I flew to um, Paris and you know, went to Versailles on the train, did Shakira's makeup for her concert in front of Versailles. And then the next day we, we took the shuttle to London and we did Mariah Carey. And then the next day we flew to Norway and worked with Green Day. So I think that, Julianne, to answer your question, I think that was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I like this, I could do that. And you actually get paid to do that. It's like, holy smokes. <laughs> so it's amazing. That was a fun, that was a fun experience. And it, I kind of like to tell a story because it comes from one of those things where if you put yourself out there and you try to help someone, oftentimes what comes back is even better for you. That is so true. That's so true. And that ties right into the whole mission of Brook USA, doesn't it? I mean, it, what, what you're doing, what all of you are doing for that organization is, is pretty special. And so Casey, you kind of mentioned the whole thing of being a competitor and wanting things to, to stick and work and, and all that. You've done quite a bit of work as not only being a competitor in the dressage arena, but a, quite a bit of work as an ambassador for the organization too. So can you tell us a little bit about the fundraising efforts of Brook USA. I know there are all these different initiatives. Which one have you been exposed to the most and been a part of? Um, I mean, I've been a part of a lot of them. Um, but um, the main thing that has stuck with me was actually in hand experience. Um, when I went to Guatemala with Brook USA, it was like a complete eye-opening experience. Um, you know, we were taken pretty much to the community communities that we are raising this money for and the people and the, the, um, the working equines and, um, just to be able to be in the environment and understand firsthand what we're really working for, 
um, was probably the most rewarding experience out of all of this. I mean, we can all go out and raise money and, and do something for a cause that actually, you know, putting in the work and going to see what we're working for is, um, was the best experience. Um, you know, we, we saw these, these, um, working equine taking the, the big jugs of water. We got to lift the jugs of water and really feel what the, the workload is for them and how far they have to go. And, um, the tools that they, that they use to use their, you know, for their feet and, um, the lack of kind of knowledge that, they know about their, their working equine and, and the work that these people that work with you, Brooke USA to help educate them, um, is, is just to see that firsthand was probably the most rewarding thing I could have, could have seen. Um, you know, we, as ambassadors, there's a, there's a bunch of us, um, within the, the, um, equestrian community and, um, just to be able to work together to, bring awareness to all this stuff, all this, um, this, um, I mean, what's the word, (laughs) this hardship in these communities, um, is, is our job and we do it with passion. We do it with pride because we're working for such a great, um, organization and, you know, we do it through social media. We do, um, we work the fundraisers and, and go in and, talk to people and, and bring out what, what we're doing. And, um, we work with, um, Leslie with beauty for real to try to sell some makeup. And, um, Leslie and I actually did a, a party here at my place, um, a makeup party. So she had a couple of her, her employees come and they did everyone's makeup and set up the whole, whole, uh, makeup line. And it was just a fun event, but it, it brought awareness to what we're doing. Um, so that's the most rewarding part about it is just to help out. Now on the Guatemala trip, was this Ramon and Allison and JJ and Allie, did all of you go at the same time? Yeah, it was, um, it was, um, Allie, JJ and Kendall. And we met up with, um, the group that, that works over there for Brook USA. And, um, it was, it was um, JJ and I's first time being there, but um, I, I believe Allie has gone once before, or maybe JJ went once before. But um, you know, we we stayed in we stayed in one nice place, and then we stayed in one like kind of nice ish place, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, it's just the world over there, and um, it, it's a reality check for us and our horses, and you know how blessed we are to be able to provide what we're providing for our horses and take care of them in the way that we do because we have the knowledge to do it and the, the means to do it um so just to be able to um provide a little bit of knowledge to these people and a helping hand is like the biggest part and um i actually got really sick when i got home <laughs> because oh. i was way too interactive with the kids <laughs> and they had some kind of <laughs> And, and, uh, JJ was looking at me like, you shouldn't be touching them like this. And I'm like, but they're, they're so cute. I mean, they're so yeah. fun to play with and like have fun with and, um, and they enjoyed it, but I got really sick. <laughs> so well, it, I, I was speaking with, um, Allison Springer and Ramon Dominguez last week. And, um, they were talking about Ramon being a Spanish speaker was able to really interact with the kids and made little, he brought a notebook and made little kites and they played and all that kind of stuff. So 
I wondered how much everybody had interaction with people, with the local people. And so um, that tells me right there. But the one thing I hadn't <laughs> even thought about was like feet and trimming yeah. and all that. And so, I mean, you know, my farrier comes every six weeks. I didn't even think about, I learned something with each of you and just the comments that you make about those trips. Yeah. So that's yeah. a lot to think about for sure. Um, so I do also want to ask, um, what do you think is next for Brook USA? You mentioned some of the makeup parties and that sort of thing. Leslie, with this, the virtual everything COVID related, are you doing that sort of thing virtually now? Is there a possibility of some kind of fundraiser in the virtual world? Yeah. Interestingly enough, because I had COVID and I have the antibodies, as we talked about earlier, I've not that I'm immune and certainly, you know, who knows what's going to happen because we don't know how long the antibodies last and how effective they really are. But I am seeing a few, few people here and there, uh, you know, in Wellington in the horse world. I just did a thing with um, Shannon Dweck and I see Susie Duda all the time and we've got some, you know, Mika got little things going on here and there. But one thing that I am doing a lot of are Zoom tutorials. So um, we've done some for Brooke, um, benefiting Brooke, you know, the, a portion of the sales from anyone buying from these Zoom tutorials, with, which will go to Brooke. And then, um, you know, doing a lot of that, which is great because, you know, the funny thing is, is that I didn't realize, you know, having, doing a lot of events and being really active pre-COVID, um, I really missed it. I was like, oh my gosh, I really miss interacting with, with people, women especially, and talking about this type of thing. So I started doing it with my friends and just kind of casually, um, you know, doing it. And one thing led to another and people loved it so much. And it was really, you know, great and beneficial to everyone to kind of, you know, have a little bit of a community together to talk, have a glass of wine, chat, you know, beauty's the subject. And I do an application and then they do it and that kind of thing that, um, we started doing it, Beauty for Real, as a company now. We have it on our website as a digital event where we're really offering it. So the next one I'm going to do, I think, is on Friday with JJ. She's she's going to host one. So, um, you know, we, we ask people to host them, get their friends together. And so, yeah, we're still doing it. <laughs> Yay, fun. Well, and the other thing I've been hearing a lot about is the power of one and that whole campaign that Brooke USA has. And, I mean, even in the virtual world, that's that's a definite way of helping. So Casey, have you had anything to do with that one? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's an amazing campaign. Um, it, um, it's set to raise, uh, I think 1 million over the next 12 months. Um, it's a big goal, but the, um, the concept is that every one, one gift, one donation can help a, a community. And it, and it's just, a it, it's dear to my heart because I really feel like even us just putting a smile on our face to someone, you know, you imagine how much that brightens someone's day, you know, and how much that, that impacts their lives. If one person gives, it doesn't matter the amount, but it, it could impact a community. It could impact these working equines and mules and donkeys and, and even the people. Um, so it, it's a powerful campaign that I am just excited about. And it's a big goal, but I believe that us with Brook USA, we can achieve it. Definitely. Yes. Well, with all this talk of horses, I just have to ask, we're right here at the holiday season. So are each of you planning big rides for the holidays? Leslie, how about you? Is it, I'm not, I'm, I might say it wrong. Nabucco, is that your baby? Nabucco is retired. Now I have huh? a young six-year-old. <laughs> 
and gelding. Um, actually, Casey has a half half sister to him. He's a blue horse sack gelding. And wow. the truth is, is I'm I call myself a dressage rider. I'm trying, you know, but uh, I'm basically staying on compared to what Casey does. I'm lucky if I just stay upright, you know. So my big ride would be, you know, just keep on trying to to make Do it that all every day, Leslie. It's okay. <laughs> Stay here. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? We just stay on. I just have fun, and I'm trying to teach him, and I'm trying to teach me. Now, she probably has some bigger things planned than I do. (laughs) Well, Casey, what do you have planned? Uh, Do you ride every day? Exactly the same thing as Leslie. Just trying to stay (laughs) on and keep moving. No, I I do that, but um, I have um, next, I think it's next weekend, I'm going to be taking our two young girls um, over to global and, you know, trying to do a couple classes over there. Not much just to kind of see how they are in the rain. Um, cause I have no idea. Um, uh-huh. so we're going to do that. And then, um, I have an upcoming Grand Prix horse that I'm just playing around with. And, um, you know, we had a pretty easy summer, so it's kind of time to kick it into gear for season. Um, so yeah, I ride, uh, about four days, five days a week. And then we try to do a fun, Cavaletti day or a hack day and um and then we take one day off but yeah just riding my my ponies enjoying oh, it good. well that whole everything COVID changed everything with the Olympic runs and all that kind of stuff and I, I knew you had had some things going on and didn't know where you were if you had young horses come along now or not so that's pretty exciting do you still have your sights set on anything for next year or the following um, not next year. Um, this is just a rebuilding year. Um, I'm mm-hmm. still riding Dublay every day. Um, Good. His turnout way too much. Um, <laughs> he get, he's just he's just a, he's so fun to have around the barn. And he came to Florida with us, and you know he'll continue to to go back and forth with us until you know I'm I'm not fully riding him. He enjoys mm-hmm. being moving, and um, he has a really big belly. Um, it's amazing to see these horses and how, you know, you're so used to seeing them in their top shape. They're, you know, always going, he's always been on the fatter side, but, um, you know, in the, in the moment I, I retired him, it was just amazing to see like all the stress kind of like leave his body. And he was just happy, you know, like, not that he wasn't happy before, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's a different body language. It's, it's just, they kind of can relax and, and really enjoy just the grass and not, not having to be in performance mode all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I ride them every day, but, um, I, I would say in the next couple of years, I'll have something really big in the ring and just keeping that pipeline going. And, um, I really enjoy the elite elite life. So I think it's, I think it's something to stay, you know, stay in the ring as much as I can. Definitely. Well, and your family also has Team Believe. I was reading a little bit about that, and that sounds like, like I said, perfect fit for Brook USA. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? What is that philosophy, Team Believe? Sure. Um, it is, we, my mom started it um, when all my sisters, we all got into running, and we started doing these relays, and, and we started doing these um, big runs together, and um, so my mom was like, well, we have to come up with a name, um, so she named us Team Believe, and um, we all were going through our own personal challenges, and it kind of just all gave us some inspiration and think, you know, really to get us to believe in, believe in ourselves. 
Um, and then we started the campaign with Duble and going through that process. And it, it really solidified our team. You know, we, we had a lot of naysayers and we had a lot of people say that it was impossible or it was such an ambitious goal. Um, you know, something that we probably wouldn't have been able to achieve. And, um, you know, we always went back to the root of believing in ourselves and believing in our team and believing in our horses. And, um, you know, I, our family is, is such a compassionate, um, um, driven family. And, um, I think that that has powered us through a lot of hardships. Um, I know it's gotten me through the Olympics. It's gotten me through the world equestrian games. It's gotten me through all this stuff with Duble. And even now with all my other horses coming up and, um, I've been challenged. I've been, I've been pushed down. I've been, you know, at the bottom to where I was just like, I can't, like, I can't do this. And, I go back to believing in ourselves and believing that we can do anything if we just switch our mindset and, and, um, and stay positive. And, um, you know, so I, I, our family's huge on the team belief. That is amazing. Well, what I'm seeing from both of you, that attitude of giving and, and believing and everything else is what's driving everyone with Brook USA too. So that's, that's pretty special. Leslie, where do you see yourself next year? What's, what's the next big thing for you? Well, let's just assume that we're past all the COVID stuff, right? <laughs> yes, yes. That'll be good. Um, I think just, I think that the, I think that the environment, like the cultural environment is going to change a little bit. I'm hoping that once all this is, I mean, I, right now everything is so strange that it's hard to really take a reading on it. But I think once it's over, I think our, our culture hopefully will be a little bit different. We'll be a little more thoughtful, a little bit more compassionate, um, a little bit more authentic and real to, you know, what what is important in life, let's say. Um, and I don't mean to, you know, bash anyone, but I think everyone can connect. I think it's going to be the anti-Kardashian. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we are working on actually rebranding Beauty for Real with a little bit um, – a little bit of a new look for the packaging and that's what we've been working on all through all this. And I'm looking forward to launching that next year and also, you know, again, supporting Brooke with uh, some product ideas and different things. We want to keep the lip balms going. They've been so popular. Everyone loves them. So they are nine different colors and, you know, it's all hundred percent natural and we are completely cruelty free of course, but I would love to, you know, talk about maybe, something else that we can do that because it's fun to collaborate and it's fun to, you know, to, to really bring awareness. Like we did a, I don't know if you guys know of Ipsy, but it's one of the biggest, it's actually the biggest beauty subscription box in, in the world. And we put the lip balms in Ipsy. So there were like, you know, a million people, literally a million people who got one, which was really cool to just, you know, and they put a little thing about Brooke in there. So things like that, I would like to do more of. So, you know, as we go forward and come out of this, I think that Beauty for Real as a company, you know, and our philosophy has always been really you know, showing women how easy it is to look beautiful because let's face it, if you look good, you feel stronger, you feel more confident, you feel like you can really go out into the world kind of like it's a team believe message, you know, that yeah. if, you, if you look great, you feel better. And to me, there's nothing more sort of, I guess, to me, it's, it feels so good. There are very few careers where you can really touch people 
and make them feel better. And doing what I do, I, I can do that. And it's, a, it's the most wonderful, gratifying feeling when you put makeup on someone who, who is not like a professional beauty in the spotlight kind of person. And they look in the mirror and go, oh, my God, I look so great. This is so fantastic. And you can see, like, confidence grows right there. So um, that's sort of always been my mission and my thing. And I think now we'll be coming out of this. I think it's going to be a perfect message for, for women, you know, to feel more authentic and real and beautiful. I think you're absolutely right. And I so hope we're all back together next year. And I, I keep hearing about this um, sunset polo and white party and all the things happening in Wellington. So if that's back up, I'm coming down and I'm going to schedule an appointment with you beforehand and, and try to come in myself. <laughs> Zoom, Julianne, anytime you want, you let me know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And so you also have, you have the Zoom things on the website. You also have some special deals right now. I looked up and there's pairings of the lip balm and different things. But I have to ask, if a new ambassador comes in to Brook USA, do, do you automatically talk to them about a, a color or a, something for Beauty For Real? Or is that sort of done? There has been talk. So, yeah, potentially. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, cool. we have a lot of really great packages going into holiday, but also we can do a special Brook code. And yes. then we can attach it to the to this. And that okay. way we can extend it as long as you have that code. How's that? Awesome. I'll tell Kendall, I'll put it in the show notes for the podcast and I'll tell Kendall to put it up on the website. Okay. Great we'll idea. Okay. That'll be awesome. Woohoo! So everybody listening needs to remember that. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you both so much for speaking with me so long today and sharing, sharing your experiences with Brook USA and, and all of the work that's going on there. I think it's such a special organization doing great things and it's all because of people like you. And this was a great, great partnership between the two of you on this call. It's just really nice to all work together. <laughs> I'm Casey's biggest fan, honestly. When I, I'm like a groupie at the horse shows. It's oh. like standing on the sidelines going, oh, yay! You know what I mean? <laughs> that is really cool. Well, happy holidays to both of you, and we'll look forward to some exciting new things in 2021. But until then, happy, happy dressage riding. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. If you'd like to support Brook USA and help this work continue, you can donate by texting ORANGE to 71760.